Podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for baseless opinions. Today is the 15th of September 2020, and this is episode 307. My name is Jake English. And I am Scott Magnus. And on this week's show, well, school's back in session, so we'll try to make up for our tardiness. We'll also try to avoid it happening nine times. Nine times? Nine times. And we'll do all that right after we lubricate the show. That's right, it is time for the drink of the week. Scott Magnus, what are you drinking? Uh, Jake, I've got a tall glass of uh, ice cubes uh, with a few shots of Jack Daniels and then topped off with a nice crisp Coca-Cola. Um, a classic Jack and Coke for this evening. How about yourself? Nice. Well, I'm going through a few favorites in the fridge this week. Um, I'm drinking tonight what's quickly becoming a, a go-to for me, which is the IPA from 1623 Brewing Company. Uh, but don't be shocked, Scotty, if I don't crack myself into a Michelob Ultra if the show runs long. I'm about to say, that is a typical go-to where you start with a decent beer to begin the show, and then while the audience doesn't know, you pop open a really cheap um, domesticated swill beer like Michelob Ultra um, and decide to drink that instead. I'm all about momentum, Scott. I'm Ab- all about momentum. Absolutely. If you're interested to see what we're drinking throughout the week, join us on Untapped. I'm at Jake E4025. I'm at MAGN8606. And with that, let's on head on over to the medical wing. Time for your checkup. Time for your checkup. I'm going to check your ears, check your eyes, find out how much you've grown. Time for your checkup. going to listen to your heartbeat, fix you up, ready to go. Time for your checkup. It's okay if you giggle. Orioles do. Are, are, is it my imagination or are we starting to get healthy? Are we all just firing on the right cylinders at the right time? Jake, I, 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 I can't disagree with this more. I mean, literally our most expensive player continues to go onto the injury list time after time again. It's almost like the team doesn't really want him around. Oh, man. This is a, this is a really big hit to 2013 Orioles. Yeah. All right. So Chris Davis on the 10-day IL uh, as of yesterday, the 14th, with left knee patellar tendonitis. And I got all that out in one take. That's pretty impressive. Um, You know, some other individuals that were actually hitting for power, you know, Anthony Santander, uh, obviously still dealing with that oblique injury. Looks like it'll be for the entire season. Um, You know, looking back at the Anthony Santander um, experience that we had from 2020, it's certainly a shame that it ended a little too early. Um, But you have to look back at it and say that was a really impressive showing. um, And it's potentially going to be most valuable Oriole worthy as well. Um, You know, I think we'll get into this later in the show, but it's, it's a shame to see Anthony Santander, in essence, hold up on the medical wing for the rest of the season. Yeah, absolutely. We've still also got uh, new Mike Wright 
to his back injury. He's on the 10-day IL as of the 9th of September. Uh, you know, we, we had uh, Austin Hayes come off of the uh, off of the medical wing. So, you know, you win some, you lose some. Yeah. There's other one additional um, addition um, as of uh, Sunday night. It was the hope of any Orioles playoff chances um, that was shattered um, and is currently on the injured reserve at this point. I wouldn't say it's our hope that was broken, Scott. I think it was more our spirit. Uh, listen, it, it was a new hope, um, and uh, <laughs> it was literally cut down in front of us uh, by the evil empire. <laughs> I, think I think you mean to say that uh, thousands of Orioles fans uh, cried out in, in terror at once. I, I literally said at the end of the game on Sunday, strike us down and you'll make me more powerful than we've ever been. Hopefully that's true in the upcoming seasons. But um, I, I've been waiting for, for that since middle school. Yeah, absolutely. All right. All right I think, I think that's it. Yeah, so I guess we'll go to 280 characters this week on the Twitters. That's right. Now, something interesting, Scott, has come up and it is brought to our attention by none other than Rockabaco, who, of course, tweets at Rockabaco. That's Ryan Mountcastle at first base tonight. Yeah, I mean, are you, are you ready for the Ryan Mountcastle first base experience? I mean, why not take a look at it? Um, we already know that the Orioles have a plethora of outfielders. Um, you know, we were we were wondering this before: of where does Ryan Mountcastle fit? Not just in the now, but in the future with like a Yusniel Diaz, uh, obviously now with a DJ Stewart raking, uh, with an Anthony Santander that's out there, Cedric Mullins and Austin Hayes. So. I think we have been, you know, grasping with this of like, well, does Mountcastle Mancini play first base? You know, where does everybody end up? We've got a lot of these first baseman DH slash somewhat outfielders. Um, yeah, it's just something that I think they've got to figure out what the degree of flexibility he has to play positions. I'll be surprised if it goes really well uh, in terms of the first base experience with Ryan Mountcastle. Um, but maybe he'll prove us all wrong, just like he has for you know, this, this stretch of the season. Well, I, I got to tell you, I am incredibly disappointed about this move because this clearly means that I'm going to see less Chris Davis at first this season. I, and, uh, I know that disappoints you. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm also disappointed to see less Renato Nunez at first base. It's just, uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't even know how to, how to deal with my disappointment. Yeah, I mean, uh, the next tweet I want to cover is uh, talking about Rio Ruiz's defense. Um, you know, you know, I'm a big Rio Ruiz fan. He's had a rough stretch, um, but I think you know, defense may not be his strong suit. But this was a really fun play. Um, this came from the Baltimore Orioles, and it was highlighting um, just a really nice defensive play. Um, a, you know, going into you know last night against the Braves in that thwapping. Um, and it was just a, again, like I said, I'm looking forward to seeing more and more plays. He's never going to be the Manny Machado like player. Um, but I think he's going to be a really interesting, um, player. And I think a, a, a piece as it were during the rebuild. I, I just, that's one of those things that sometimes happens in baseball and it's just one of the, the reasons that you love this game. You know what I mean? To, to see a play like that that's supposed to be busted and somehow a player, you know, not necessarily known for the strength of his defensive capabilities makes a play like that. It just, you know, that, that is why you watch this game. Absolutely. 
Scott, I have a question for you about this next tweet, and uh, I don't. Is it possible that this tweet is offensive? This tweet comes to us from Eric Ardidi at edd22, and he says, "Best shortstop in Orioles history has his first home run in an Orioles uniform, uh, with you know some video of uh, none other than uh, Jose Iglesias hitting his first Orioles home run." And, you know, listen, this is Baltimore, and we are Baltimore fans of a certain age, and that means that we, we know shortstop by one name. Is it possible that, that Eric has forgotten about Alex Cintron? I mean, I was thinking Flats personally, um, and I think, you know, Flats would say, uh, come on, mother effer, um, to uh, Arcarditi. Um, but, yeah, I think we need to give greater respect um, to the shortstops um, that, you know, have proliferated the holes of, uh, of Camden Yards and also Memorial Stadium. So, uh, Eric, um, you know, we'll, we'll be sending a list over. Um, we're going to have to have you look at it. And, uh, yeah, I think there are some uh, other individuals that are at the top of that list. Even J.J. Hardy is mad right now. Absolutely. No question about it. All right. Uh, next week comes from Dan Conley. Uh, you can follow him at Dan Conley 2016 because, eh, who wants to update their Twitter handle? Um, he tweets as follows. Orioles have made several moves. Often Austin Hayes is off the IL. Chris Davis goes back on it. Mason Williams clears waivers and has been assigned to Bowie overflow. And Stevie Wilkerson has been released. He's been out since July with a fractured finger. Dr. Poo Poo parting is such sweet, sweet sorrow. You knew this was coming. It makes the most amount of sense to, you know, clear a spot, uh, to be available. Um, but it's a shame to see Dr. Poo Poo, um, you know, sailor right into the sunset. Is there any chance Dr. Poo Poo ends back up with the team some way in 2021? I, I think so. Yes, absolutely. Who do you think he could potentially replace in this in this in this lineup? Uh, the utility infielder slash you, outfielder in Norfolk. You do not mention Pack the like like a by that name. He is a, an upstanding individual of this team. He needs to be on here for years to come. I said in Norfolk. Oh, okay, Norfolk, gotcha. <laughs> no, no, I, I think that this is a, a you know a classic Orioles move. You cut somebody, you let them know that you know all things being equal, you'd love to have them back. And you know, I think that Doctor Poopoo's skill set is as such that he probably won't have a ton of other offers and all things being equal, he'll want to be back here. So I think that this is a, another, you know, paper move to get another slot at the 60 man, uh, player pool. And he stayed with the organization. That's just, you know, me looking at the crystal ball. Gotcha. All right. Our next tweet comes to us from, well, the Baltimore sun. We'll click that. They of course tweet at Baltimore sun. Orioles break out, score nine runs in the third inning of a 14-to-1 route of the Braves to end a five-game skid. Scott Magnus, that game was undeniably enjoyable. Oh, absolutely. I mean, absolute explosion of runs after watching four miserable games back-to-back-to-back-to-back of absolutely no offense. So, yes, I completely agree. It was good to get it all out of our system. It was a palate cleanser, if you will. Uh, like I said, I think it was more like a, an enema um, where we just you know cleaned out any hard spots that were still remaining. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, you know the Twitters have been an interesting place this week. Uh, you know, in, in the world of baseball as well. 
But let's go ahead and take a quick break, gather ourselves, maybe refresh our beverage, come back, go around the bases and see what the heck has been happening. Here we go. It's time to go around the bases and see what we can dig up here in Orioles baseball. And Scotty, we just we've got to address the elephant in the room. You and I took the week off last week. We just we skipped it, um, and uh, you know that happened because uh, the first week of school was a an interesting place in our household. You know, we both have kids. We both are married into the education profession. It's just a it's a rough week at the English and the Magnus household. Uh, but we did we did prep a show, and I got to be honest, if we were going to miss a show, this past week was the best week to miss, and here's why: because I was already with a bit for a segment last week where just like Maryland reopened the phase three for COVID nineteen, I was going to officially declare Birdland open to phase three of hope with the Orioles prime one half game behind the New York Yankees for a playoff spot as they rode in triumphantly to the city of New York. Yeah, I mean, even e- even thinking back to the Mets series um, where, where they were playing and the Orioles were a half a game back and, um, you know, obviously Conferto made that amazing catch in uh, to basically save three runs off of Hanser Alberto. Um and you knew momentum swung. You just didn't think momentum was going to swing through the entire Yankee series as well. But it felt like after that happens, it's like, well, we lost this game. We'll go into the Yankees at one and a half. Maybe we can scrape by and, you know, and he's at least savage two games and split. Um, but once we lost both games of the double header um, on Friday, it was like, uh oh, like this could get to be a really bad weekend. I just don't think we realized how bad of a weekend it was going to turn out to be. Yeah, yeah. So we, you know, we had hope. We had hope. We had the audacity of hope. Um, and in in classic Orioles fashion, they dashed it. Were we <clears throat> were we perhaps ahead of ourselves to to dare to hope that the Orioles might be in the playoff hunt? Um, I don't think so. Um, I, I think there's a few things that I would come back and say is we have talked about this ad nauseum in terms of the pitching staff and. I think we know where we stand with our pitching. Um, but if you look at the Orioles from an offensive standpoint, like I think they're top 10 right now um, as it relates to offense from a Woba standpoint. Um, so I, I look at it and I say, if the Orioles would have continued the typical offense that they were putting up um, over the entire season this weekend, it would have at least been competitive. I'm not saying that they would have won the series, but I definitely think the Orioles had a chance to potentially win one or two of those games. Um, the fact is, the the Orioles stopped hitting. They ran into some really good pitching from the Yankees. Um, and, you know, overall, it was just a dominating performance by the Yankees. It just came at the worst time um, to hit a cold streak. 
against someone that you are in essence basically battling for directly for that playoff spot. Yeah, yeah, you know, it was so weird because you know the Orioles were playing well and uh, you know enter- entertaining ball, but also you know fun and and a team that you can get behind, right? Homegrown stars doing well, or homegrown players who may become stars playing well, um, and you know they were really playing gangbusters for a while there, and you thought you know maybe. Maybe if they, they keep playing pretty well, they can at least hang around the conversation. Uh, and in classic Orioles fashion, instead of hanging around the conversation, they did everything they had to to make you convinced that it was all a mirage. Uh, the real question I think now is, you know, we we got to hope. I'll admit I got excited at the prospect that maybe uh, you know the Orioles could could have an interesting end of the season. We can't go in the opposite direction, right? Like, we weren't expecting to do well in the season anyway, so we can't get, we can't go too far the other side and be down about it. It, it is what it is, right? I mean, it's not worth getting upset about. No, I agree with you about that. Um, it, it's nothing to get upset about. Um, it's just one of those things where you get so close and you're just like, what if something happens? Like, what if this is going to be, you know, something special that none of us were expecting and it actually does? And, it's kind of like, all right, we, we kind of knew that reality was going to hit, um, but it's just a shame that it happened. But um, you move on from it. You've got a lot of, you know, positives to kind of still watch for the for the next two weeks. You know, crazy things could still happen. It's just highly unlikely at this point. Whereas if they, even they would have split that series and, you know, gone out of New York with one and a half games back um, with two weeks to go. Um, there could have been a lot of really interesting um, dynamics in terms of saying, you know, is it possible we're going to be able to knock the Yankees out of a playoff spot? How sweet that would be. Um, but at this point, it's less like it's not going to happen. Let's just move on. How stupid did I look in preseason predicting 24 wins from the Baltimore Orioles, uh, particularly at them sitting at 21 and 26 now? Uh, how stupid do I feel basically predicting they were going to have 14 wins? So, I, I think it's all a matter of perspective. Um, you know, ultimately the Orioles have been doing a lot better than I think anybody would have expected. Um, you know, kudos to them for being able to pull it together and, you know, be as good as they have been um, to date with, with their hitting. Um, I don't think any of us saw um, the Anthony Santander experience and or the Ryan Mountcastle experience or even the DJ Stewart experience as of recently over the past two weeks. So, um, heck, I mean, that's the kind of fun stuff that you're looking for in a short season like this. All right, well, that's a good segue. Let's let's go to second base because I want to ask you, Scott, in all seriousness, what the actual heck? Yeah. What is going on with DJ Stewart? Yeah. Is, is, is DJ Stewart a voodoo artist? I look. Is, is he a dark magician? I have no idea. All, all I can say is, I have never been a huge DJ Stewart fan. People can listen to this podcast and know fully well that I was strongly against DJ Stewart being drafted. Um, You know, he came up this year. He was absolutely dreadful. He went down to Bowie and he somehow has been able to find magic, as it were, in terms of just power, Um, power upon power upon power. 
Um, I posted one tweet out there er- er- earlier this week, specifically showing um, how the bat angle had come through the zone differently and how he was positioning his p- at the plate differently from a posture standpoint. And, and I do think that's a really critical basis in terms of looking at how DJ Stewart was drafted and being aware of that. Um, but if Bowie can do that, like I would send everybody to Bowie at this point. I'd be like, you know what? We're just going to field a bunch of scrubs for the next few weeks. And we're just going to pull everyone down to Bowie and work your magic because um, what DJ Stewart is doing after coming back from Bowie is absolutely phenomenal. I mean, in, in the short sample size of this season with only 64 plate appearances, has a 419 on base percentage, 714 slugging, a WOBA of 462, and 195 high to runs created plus. I understand that's only over 60 plate appearances, but man, that's really impressive. Um, and again, with only a bad of a 300, so it's not like he's getting lucky. He is just pounding the ball with an ISO of 449. So just a lot of power, a lot of home runs. Um, really impressive. Yeah, and here's the thing. Even if it's a fluke, that's a really long fluke, right? He's, he's making a really good show of it. And I, I was right with you. You know, I did not think uh, very highly of DJ Stewart. And I hope, um, for so many reasons, that I continue to look bad in this regard. You know, it would be tremendous if DJ Stewart could resurrect his career uh, to have one. Yeah. Right? It would be tremendous if we had another outfielder to contend to. Remember, I was screaming about how thin the Baltimore Orioles uh, uh, outfield was organizationally. And uh, so, again, I, I wouldn't call myself convinced, uh, but I am certainly open to the to the hope of being wrong. Uh, and, again, you know, even if this is uh, if this is a very long flash in the pan, you know, lean in and enjoy it because it's fun to watch. Yeah, I mean, when I watch DJ Stewart in terms of his approach at the plate and everything like that, um, I want to put this in perspective, and I, I don't want to jump on this too much, but he actually kind of reminds me of like a young Chris Davis. Um, and, and I think that's a really interesting scenario of, you know, I think he's got a kind of similar swing profile. Um, I think he gets into bad habits. Um, but I do think that he does have the power potential to... Um, you know, be uh, a 30 to 40 home run player um, on a consistent basis if he continues what he's doing right now. Um, but again, it's I still consider this to be small sample size. I understand that it's 60 plate appearances. He's got seven home runs. I, I would want to see at least 300 plate appearances before I want we're going to crown him um, at this point. Um, I still think that there is... A, a lot of room out there in terms of people to make him look foolish over a given time period. Well, you heard it here first. Uh, Scott Magnus thinks that the the ceiling for this player, for DJ Stewart, is to be the worst offensive player in the history of baseball. I, I, I should say Chris Davis circa, you know, 2011 through 2013. Ooh, okay. All right. Nice. I like to hear it. Uh, let, let me build on my question of what the actual heck. Um, and if we can't solve the, the riddle of, of uh, DJ Stewart, that's, that's fine. But what the actual heck is going on with Cedric Mullins? Yeah, um, you know, he's not atrocious at the plate right now, um, which is very surprising. 
Um, and also coming back to it, he's been showing some really good defensive prowess. I mean, uh, Kevin Brown posted out there, you know, uh, he's number three right now for center fielders in terms of outs above average. Um, he is playing it's very serviceable center field. Let, let's go that far. I, I still don't think he's a leadoff hitter. Uh, I still think he's a bottom the order hitter in eighth or a ninth hitter. Um, but he is playing a a very nice outfield defense. I still consider him to be a fourth outfielder at best. I'd rather see Austin Hayes than Cedric Mullins, but certainly Cedric Mullins has been filling in nicely for Austin Hayes while he's been gone. Yeah, I, mean, I agree. But I, I will say, just just as I was confused and delighted that DJ Stewart may have been turning his career around to have a career, Cedric Mullins is really in the same category. This guy was sent to Bowie last year from the majors, right? His 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 career hit rock bottom last year, and in this weird COVID shortened season, he now has an opportunity to rebuild his career to the point where he might be a serviceable fourth outfielder at the major league level. And I, I, I think that's huge, right? And, and when we talk about a serviceable major league outfielder, what we mean is when a guy like Austin Hayes goes down in the IL, he can play defensively just as he needs to. And even if he's the number nine hitter, he can have a week like this past week where you go, oh my gosh, Cedric Mullins is doing okay. Oh, good for him. And I don't mean to, to sound backhanded about it when I say that's a huge coup for somebody who was basically putting himself on the scrap heap. I think this is a phenomenal turnaround if it can be sustained. And I think that for a guy with, with that set of skills defensively and, and that kind of speed, he can have really interesting skills at the, at the major league level. Yeah, I, I think the more interesting thing to me up from that fourth outfitter standpoint is, you know, I think back to like, what is he going to offer from a future standpoint? I don't consider him to be in the starting lineup, but I could easily see him being substituted um, in a late inning scenario as a pinch runner and then being substituted out there for those individuals that are in left field or right field that may not have the defense abilities. So if you have a Ryan Mountcastle, for example, playing left field, you probably don't want to have Ryan Mountcastle out there in the late innings if he's not going to get another at bat. So why not just you know substitute Cedric Mullins into left field, and then you've got Mullins and Hayes both in left field and center field, you know, queued up to be really great defenders, and you're putting your pitchers into a much better spot um, as it relates to being able to pitch those late inning games. Uh, we saw the Orioles do this all the time back in the day with like David Lowe, Nate McLeod. Um, I, I think it's a really strong area that is overlooked. Um, but it can really help a lot of games out. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, keep in mind that the 26-man uh, roster, we, we you know, have the ability to hide some folks that maybe wouldn't have had a job before. Absolutely. All right, third base, let's move along, and I'll ask you a different question, Scott. Is the future now? Are we beginning to see the future? Um, on the broadcast for the, the portion of the game, I saw this evening, Rock Baca was uh, doing his best Amber Theo Harris impression of the sideline there and was talking about the number of homegrown star, homegrown players in the lineup. It's four tonight, it was five last night. And uh, we are seeing young, 
Baltimore Orioles coming up and contributing, right? And we're, we're starting to see contributions from guys like Dean Creamer and Keegan Aiken and Ryan Mountcastle and Hunter Harvey and DJ Stewart. Um, and so, you know, I, I ask you, are we starting to see the fruits of the rebuild or am I getting ahead of myself? So I think we're starting to get a little ahead of ourselves. I mean, um, I, I will come back and let's start with the pitching. Um, let's start with the Calvary, as it were, in terms of Dean Creamer and Keegan Aiken. You have to call them that because it leaves a bad taste in my mouth. And that's not just the Michelob talking. Listen, this is my job is to create a bad taste within the <laughs> Orioles' mouth. Um, you know, when I watch Dean Creamer and I watch Keegan Aiken, I, you know, the first start that Dean Creamer had was absolutely phenomenal. I mean, to be able to go against the Yankees and absolutely dominate them like that was really impressive. The second outing um, was not as great as the first outing. And I, and I think it was good to see that um, for, for a few reasons. Um, when I watched that first outing with, you know, Kramer coming up and basically batting against the Yankees being basically named only a few hours before being, you know, named the starter. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, the Yankees probably don't have a good scouting report on him at this given time. Like, you know, there wasn't probably a great plan in place. You know, you watched a lot of the Yankees batters, you know, maybe not be so aggressive at the plate, um, take a few pitches through the zone. Um, so I really was actually interested to watch the second start to see how he did. And, and overall, I thought Dean Kramer, even though it, it didn't work out for him in terms of the game, I thought he actually pitched pretty well. I don't think his command was quite as good as the first game, but it's not like the Yankees really unloaded on him. Um, you know, he still pitched to a, a 1.64 ERA over those two games against the Yankees. Um so it was really encouraging to me to see um, a, a good team in the Yankees, in my opinion, even though they're you know in the seventh or eighth spot right now from the playoffs, um, not in essence get a read from him during the first game that they went against him you know, just from a few days ago, um, and then be able to come back the second time around and still not be able to figure him out. Um, whereas I feel like you know previous individuals that we saw from the Cavalry may have one good start, um, but then the book comes out on him. So... I feel like Dean Kramer has a little bit of that stuff um, in terms of his pitch repertoire and his control potentially in the future um, that could potentially, you know, help him out. Um, you know, so far on the two starts that he's had, great strikeout ratio at 11.45 Ks per nine. Command has been a little off at 4.91 walks per nine. But Kramer has been really one of these individuals that has been rated out as having plus plus command. Um, from a scouting standpoint, he's like a 55 to 60 scouting in terms of command so i i think there is something there with kramer um and i know that i've said that about other folks too but i i do think that you know when we look at a player like john means we look at doing kramer we're starting to see um you know people that can form up that bullpen um in, in any future state so dean kramer certainly is interesting to me not to mention he he's not bad to look at as well he's a he's a good looking man um Keegan Aiken, um, I'm not as high on Keegan Aiken as some other folks are. Um, I'm not sure how you feel, Jake. I I think he's interesting, but I don't know if he really is rotation level interesting to me from a talent standpoint. Yeah, I mean, I think that certainly the the, uh, jury is still out. Uh, But I, I think that, you know, again, we get to watch these guys come up. We see a little bit of what we, we've been hoping for, um, and we get to see them struggle and then see what happens next, right? And, and we get to do it in the middle of the season or seasons where the stakes are low. 
So I, I, I would love to just see more innings. Yeah. Yep. Know, for these guys, we've seen, you know, Heschel or Jahowski sent to the bullpen. Uh, the, the decks are cleared as far as I'm concerned. You know, we should see as many innings as we can to know what we've got. A- absolutely, and I, I think the, you know, the hope is that you know DL Hall and Grayson Rodriguez are going to form that that nucleus or arsenal for your rotation. We have talked about it continually on this podcast of you're going to need to at least find two more people to fill in that rotation, and then you might have to buy an arm. Um, that's worked out really well for the Orioles before in terms of buying arms. Um, but, you know, your hope is that you can find four, um, you know, homegrown talents so that you don't have to continually, you know, convince people to come here that are really not that great. Um, so if Dean Kramer and John Means can be that, great. If Keegan Aikens can somehow manage to get in there too, that's fine too. Um, but you're absolutely right. I'd rather see um, the innings right now from these players rather than an Asher Wojciechowski or even an Alex Cobb. Um, because again, it doesn't promise me anything in the future that I think is going to be a nucleus of what the rotation could look like in a future state. Well, how many of these guys do you think are going to be personally thanked during the Hall of Fame acceptance speech of DJ Stewart? Um... I'm thinking none, honestly. I don't think DJ Stewart is of that aspect of thanking anybody. I think he realizes that um, he did this all on his own, um, and he is fire emoji, fire emoji, fire emoji. I mean, he certainly did it without my support, so hats off to him. Absolutely. You know, we, we've got all this, you know, homegrown talent. We're not, you know, even talking about the resurgence, so to speak, of uh, Chance Cisco. We're not talking about the possibility of what Austin Hayes might be someday, but... You know, there's there's reason to, you know, to look at the Orioles uh, players that they have drafted and they have developed. Developed being the key because that's really the part that was missing through all those dark years. Um, but we're seeing this, those players uh, come along, and the exciting thing to me is that right now we have a stable of, of fun and interesting complementary players. Right, um, Anthony Santander. Course came through a Rule Five pick that we, you know, all mocked when it happened. Uh, you've got players like Hanser Alberto, Rio Ruiz, who sometimes are, you know, some of the best uh, players in, in the league for four or five days. You've got guys like Renato Nunez, and it just reminds me that, you know, if enough of these homegrown players can be, um, you know, complementary in themselves, that we can acquire other pieces elsewhere. Um, and it gives me, you know, some comfort of knowing what a team, you know, might look like. Remember, when we talk about homegrown talent, we're missing, um, you know, our right fielder at the moment. We're, we're missing Trey Man- Mancini, who would have, you know, absolute huge presence in the middle of our lineup. Um, so I, I think that if the future is not now, we're, we're getting a nice preview. I agree with that. And again. We've talked about in terms of roster construction is you're looking for those players that are maybe not superstars, but are pivotal pieces. And again, I think we have seen it with, you know, Anthony Santander. Uh, we have seen it, you know, so far, I think, actually, on the season with Ryan Mountcastle being a really intriguing player. Not still sure about Chancisco. He's an intriguing player to me. I still think he's a backup catcher. Um, Hanser Alberto, again, interesting player. I th- was expecting a better season from him. And I don't know if he's really delivered on that um, to the point that I want to see, but I think there's a lot of interesting players. It just is that question of 
who is going to be the superstar that that takes them over the top? I mean, for the Orioles, you know, during the Showalter era, it was Manny Machado. I mean, as much as we love Adam Jones, Manny Machado really helped push the team over the edge in terms of being a top-notch talent team um, in, in order to push it forward. Oh, and of course, Steve Pierce. Let's not forget about him. Um, but the Orioles need to find that kind of superstar, that all-star um, that can be a top 30 Major League Baseball player. Um, and, and at this time, I don't think that person exists um, on the Orioles. Um, I think you know maybe Adley Rutschman turns out to be that. But to ask a catcher to be that, I think it's going to be tough. Um, but we'll see what happens. You mean you think it's unreasonable to ask a pitcher drafted by the Baltimore Orioles to be a Jesus in cleats? Uh, listen, I, I'm, I'm hoping for the best uh, for anybody like that. But uh, again, it's it's one of these things where number one draft picks generally do not turn out to be superstars, number one. Um, but uh, again, it's going to be really tough to um, you know guarantee that. I mean, even when we look at top players in the league right now, like a Juan Soto or a Paul Goldschmidt or an Acuna or anybody like that, like, they are, you know, going to be in that that upper echelon. Maybe Adley Rushman turns out to be that way, um, but for the time being, that's I think the one pivotal piece that we just don't know yet. Um, that if and when we see it with our eyes of like this person's going to be special, and I think we knew that with Manny, um, then it's going to be really exciting and it's going to turn up the flames really quickly um, in terms of knowing that the rebuild is coming to an end and it's about time to get really fun for a few years. All right. All right. Well, let's round third. Let's go ahead into home plate. We've mentioned his name a couple times here, but when we talk about homegrown talent, I want to ask you about John Means. The last two starts have been way more impressive than the remainder of the year. Scott, are we starting to see the recovery of John Means? Is he back? Yes, I think he's back. Um, I think we can take a look at um, the velocity, the command that he's throwing out there. Um, and I feel like we are now seeing what we saw last year with John Means. Um, so I, I think it's really important, um, you know, going into this offseason that the Orioles make sure that John Means is equipped with everything from a knowledge basis of what went wrong in this given you know time period um, and move on from it and basically make sure that he is fully aware um, of what are things that can break him in terms of um, you know what he is doing in terms of opening up his delivery, um, how he's approaching the plate, even just emotional and psychological aspects as well. I think it's going to be a matter of, I still don't think John Means is a top of the rotation starter, uh, but I still see the John Means that we saw last year, and I still think he can be a really good starting pitcher in the American League East. I certainly think you're right about that. And, of course, John Means has had a, a really rotten season uh, rather than the last two starts, and, and you know, in which, of course, he, he endured a terrible loss, which could not have helped. Um, but, you know, even though the last two games were good for Means, you know, I even look back to that uh, that game three games ago, uh, three starts ago for Handel on the second against the Mets. You know, it was a, a 9-4 loss for the Birds. He gave up those 
four earned runs, but he did so over five and a third innings, right? So he's still hanging around in the games, and then, of course, he comes back with those back-to-back six-inning appearances in which he only gives up the the single earned run. The really really interesting thing to me is the the post-game press conference that he gave in which he noted that you know he got sat down by the manager. There was a, a frank conversation. That it was a you know it was a real rough heart to heart where Brandon Hyde told him that you know he was not behaving like the pitcher that he had been. That he had got away from himself. And uh, you know Means really seemed to have uh, you know found that to be a valuable conversation. Right? It was a hard conversation, but it wasn't. Um, you know, it wasn't one of animosity. This is a, a, a situation where I look at, you know, the, the age-old question of what impact does a manager really have? Uh, and again, you know, there have been questions recently about, you know, what Brandon Hyde's leadership looks like and how effective it is or isn't. But Scotty, what role do you think the coaching plays in, you know, if this is the recovery of John Means' season? Uh, I, I think it definitely plays a significant role. Um, you know, I think that there is um, that aspect of the data analytics that we talked about, um, and then applying that aspect of just not giving the data, but actually showing and talking to it and having the conversation with the employee. Um, so I, I think it's it's really important. And you know, um, as individuals that you know have contacts within the Orioles organization, you know, we've kind of followed up on this and asked this question about what exactly occurred in terms of these conversations. And our sources indicate that um, Brendan Hyde sat down with with John Means and indicated that if he didn't clean his ish up, that he was going to be sent to Miami uh, to basically have to deal with everything going on down there. And um, the last thing uh, after you know hearing what happened to Dick Blyer, um, the last thing that John Means wanted to do was go to Miami. You you hang on to those sources, buddy. They're doing you <laughs> a huge justice. No, but I, I'm I'm psyched, obviously, for the return of John Means. I I agree. I I think that uh, you know we're we're starting to see the good John Means again. Obviously, the velocity is the big thing. Um, but uh, I, I really also look forward to the growth of John Means as a player. Right? This is clearly the darkest time of his career. Right? Um, and if he's able in a very short period of time, you know, again, we've only got 60 games to work with. If he is able to overcome this, I think that it goes a long way to knowing that in addition to the talent to be a major league pitcher, that he can be a guy that can, you know, withstand the psychological and the, the mental aspect of this game. Um, and again, ex- exciting to see in, in a season in which uh, the Orioles just made sure that the wins and losses don't matter. Uh, you know, this may be a pretty big win for us. I agree. I agree. Like I said, um, you know, overcoming adversity um, is, you know, I think the theme of 2020. Um, and John, <laughs> John Means is, is yeah, I, I think 20, I think John Means has done a really good job of at least demonstrating over two starts that he is, you know, showing some, um, some uptick as it were. Um, so like I said, let's see how he finishes the rest of the season. Uh, we have seen other pitchers end a season really well and then come back the next season and be absolutely abysmal. Um, but I've got a lot of faith in terms of we saw a large sample size last year in John Means. Um, we've seen a very small sample size this year with John Means. Um, 
I, I think that if we've seen anything from the Bowie experience, um, the Orioles are able to, in essence, work with their players and get them away from bad habits in a very quick manner. I'm fascinated to hear that you think that the, the theme of 2020 is overcoming adversity, because I think, I think that the theme of 2020 is simply not giving in to despair. Mm. And really, what could prepare a person for the year of 2020 other than being a Baltimore Orioles fan? Absolutely. I mean, I'm still in despair because the Baltimoreans haven't put out a podcast recently, but uh, that's just me. All right, let's go ahead. We've, we've gone around the bases. Let's take a quick break and come back for a little good, bad, and ugly. That's right. It's time again for the good, the bad, and the ugly. I'm going to go ahead and go first. Scotty, my good this week goes to Ryan Mountcastle. I mean, we, we talked about him early uh, earlier as being you know, part of the homegrown talent unit, but he, he's been as advertised. He's been everything that we were hoping that he would be once he got here. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, he's been really impressive um, just in terms of plate appearances and just plate discipline. Um, I, I said it earlier when we first started getting it, uh, seeing him up here. Uh, I was concerned about the power. That certainly is no longer a concern for myself at this point. Um, but I really have been enjoying to see him have that higher walk rate, you know, at 8% versus 4% in the minors. Um, if that could prolong out, I mean, he could be a really special player. Um, my good's going to go to DJ Stewart. I mean, I've trashed him multiple times in this podcast, but you can't. But, you know, tip your cap to him and say, hey, that's a really impressive way to go about the season and, and come back from Bowie. So um, DJ Stewart is absolutely smashing the ball right now. Um, so he gets my good. Um, hopefully he can keep it up. Um, and, and this is not just small sample size. Absolutely. All right. My bad for this week is going to go to Hanser Alberto. Woof. What a terrible, terrible week. And as one of the leaders in plate appearances this week, he did nothing with it. A negative 14 weighted runs creative plus with a 25% K rate. Listen, out of respect and out of dedication for his teammate, he did his best Chris Davis impression this week. And it was uh, it was not pretty. Yeah, absolutely. It was not pretty whatsoever. Uh, Jake, my bad for the week is going to go to Tom Eshelman. And... Uh, you know, you look at his stat numbers. He had a win this week. So why am I picking him? Well, once again, you know, wins don't really matter for pitchers. Guy posted an 8.44 ERA, 9.76 FIP. Um, just a really atrocious command aspect from him in the three games uh, with a 5.06 walks per case per nine and an 8.44 walks per nine. Um, gave up home runs at a 3.38 clip. You know, when he came in, he just was not effective. Um, he gets my bad for the week. All right. Uh, my ugly this week is going to go to something that I just saw this evening while watching uh, the start of the baseball game, and that is Nick Markakis. Um, it hurts my heart every time that I see Nick Markakis in a Braves uniform. Look, we can go back and, and relitigate you know, whether it should have happened, 
whether it happened the right way. That's all good and fine. But tonight I watched Nick Martakis play a ball off the right field wall and you know, it just it just made me miss him and remember how much I enjoyed watching Nick Martakis play baseball for the Baltimore Orioles. So my bad this week is the fact that history has unfolded uh, in the way that it has. My ugly is going to have to go to that four-game series against the Yankees. The Orioles simply got outplayed, and you know none of us thought that the Orioles had much of a playoff chance, but that certainly sunk it uh, completely after that series. Um, again, I wouldn't say I'm disappointed. Uh, I'm you know more the aspect of I, I, I was expecting it to happen. I, I just didn't want it to happen in it in that fashion to that team. Um, so I think you know looking back. You know, it was a really ugly weekend, and it was really what I thought the Orioles were going to be for 2020. I just wasn't quite ready for it just yet. I, you know, it, it's crazy because if if the same result had happened over the course of a week, oh yeah, right, that, that the Orioles were that number of games out of the out of the wild card, you you wouldn't feel quite as bad. But Absolutely, right. They went into New York. They played, you know, a team that has been. They're bugaboo for you know a generation, and they just messed the bed. I mean, they just absolutely blew it. And they're everything that you hoped they could avoid is what happened. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about it in terms of the 2020 Orioles. They have shown fight. There's no doubt about that. I mean, they have fought back in games. They have you know showed resiliency. Um, you know, even trading away players and still managing to win games. Um, this was one of those series that I was hoping that they were going to put up a fight again, not win all the games. Um, I, I didn't think they were going to beat Garrett Cole or anything like that, but I was just hoping for something more or at least a few special games. But several of those games, it was those typical games that we saw in 2019 where you knew what the score and the final was going to be in the sixth or seventh inning. Um, and that's really frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. When you know it's over as soon as the bat starts. Yeah. All righty, well, Scotty, let's take a quick break and come back and blow the safe. What do you say? Sure. Scott, I'm not sure if you're aware, uh, but the Orioles were not the only game in town this past week. Did you know that Baltimore has another professional sports team? Yes, I did. The Baltimore Blast. (laughs) They have, in addition to the Baltimore Orioles and the Baltimore Blast, another professional sports team. No, uh, the NFL season started uh, this this past week. The Orioles played their game. uh, The Ravens played their game. Absolutely destroyed the Browns. Uh, But the score of the Ravens game was not the best part. No. Watching Lamar Jackson uh, connect to, for touchdown passes was not the best part. The best part, the highlight of the game to me, was seeing Mo Gavitt get some love on national television on the CBS broadcast as the Ravens had drawn some attention uh, to Mo, both in the stands as well as uh, in the end zone. I, I love to see it. Absolutely. It was, it's like I said, we've talked about this before. This is a great story. I know there's a lot of folks uh, within the local area that, uh, you know, 
had had done stuff with Mo and stuff like that, um, you know, it's good to kind of continuing to send that positive message out there in terms of that, you know, personality, um, what he believed in, everything like that. Um, And like I said, for as empty as the stands were, um, just kind of looking at even the cardboard cutouts aspects of an individual that we all know, even though we haven't met met him, um, it it kind of felt a little bit better um, watching the game in that given regard. So... Yeah, it, it got dusty for a second there. It got dusty. Hey, one more call-up for blowing the save. Congratulations to Adam Jones for hitting his 2,000th hit, um, combining between Major League Baseball and overseas. So uh, that's a big accomplishment. Uh, love to see the former Oriole do so. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I would watch him strike out every game because he's so darn entertaining. But, yeah, to, to watch him still continue to grind it, uh, yeah, it is a lot of fun. And that, that is our show. Remember, you can find this in our entire catalog of indispensable episodes at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. Bird's Eye View is available for download wherever it is you get your podcast. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many others. Please remember to rate and review the show. We appreciate the feedback, and it encourages other people to listen for the first time. Come and get social with us. You can email us at contact at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. You can find us on social media, on Instagram, on Facebook, on Snapchat. But the best way to get a hold of us is on Twitter, where we tweet at birdseyeview, B-A-L. And with that, Baltimore and beyond, I will bid you all a fond adieu adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Be safe out there. And let's go O's. still here? It's over. Go home. Go.